Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com. He is Stephen Holder. I guess nobody was really surprised about the news regarding Shaquille Leonard today and the back surgery being done for the season. You know, hoping for a full 100% recovery and feeling good going into 2023. Honestly, though, how do you feel about this moving forward? You're a bit apprehensive to believe that he's ever going to be when he got that contract, what people thought he was going to be? Yeah, well, before we get into that serious conversation, I, I had a thought. I think Duke is probably orchestra. You know, they're a little highbrow over there uh, down in the triangle, I'm thinking. So, I don't know. Uh, and, and as you know, I'm a big bluegrass guy, so that was perfect. Hey, by the way, too, I got an update from Raising Canes that just opened its doors in Avon off that. of US 36 right now. Apparently, it's run out of something. Eric Twig says it's. I can't tell. I think it's run out of chicken. Is that well, is that good when you make your your grand debut? Is it good if you run out of chicken, or is it bad if you run out of chicken? I don't know, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm not. There aren't many places I'm standing in line for in 35 degree weather, and the kind of lines I saw online earlier. So uh, I've, I've actually never had raisin cane. That's maybe, pretty good, uh, man. It is, I've had it once. It is legit. Don't get me wrong, okay. but I probably am not going to stand. I'm not going to wait five minutes for anything. So that's part right. of it. But yeah, apparently, anyway, according to sorry. Eric Twig, they are all out of chicken over in Avon. That's tragic. That is tragic. <laughs> Man, here's your update on Raising Cane's grand opening in Avon hey, right listen, there. Listen, Go ahead. You're giving the people what they want. I anyway, am, yes. on a serious note, obviously, uh, Shaquille Leonard. Uh, look, I talked to him about this last week, and at the time I, I, I didn't realize what had happened in Wednesday's practice. But the impression I got from him was, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, but the impression that I got was that, you know, even playing at all this year was really, um, you know, sort of a – it was a lot to ask, I guess is what I'm saying, right? Uh, because of the, the delicate nature of this thing. And then he did play and he had a setback. I'm not saying anybody made a mistake. I mean, he, he was making progress and he had progressed to a point where he was cleared to play. So it, it's not as though someone was reckless or anything. I, I never got that impression. All I'm saying is that there's a pretty high bar – to even get back this year he did uh but he had a setback when he did i I think at this point they have to do the best thing for the long-term health of this guy and he's just too great of a talent to 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 rush this thing and he may have learned a lesson here too okay because he has really 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 pushed this thing and wanted to get back and, and i understand you know frank reich was was the one making those calls at the time and, and the medical staff. I understand the difficulty in telling Shaq Leonard no, okay? I mean, it, it's not fun. So they got to a point where they were they were comfortable finally letting him play, but I, I think in a in their perfect world, they might have let it linger a little longer. Um, you know, the, the other thing I would say is that they, their linebackers are playing well. I mean, Shaq playing is, is not going to be the difference – 
between this season being really good or, or really poor in the last seven games, even though he is a fantastic player. So I think at this point, it's not about 2022. Uh, and you asked me earlier, do I have concern? You should have concern, right? Yeah. I mean, this thing is, we're talking about, you know, we're, we're about a year in almost, you know, so yeah, it's a problem. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I detect a little bit of a scratchy throat in the cold. Was that a hangover yeah. cold or was that the <laughs> flight to and from cold? What do we got here? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, basically you're, you're flying in a, in a Petri dish, you know, um, 30,000 feet in the air. You, good, good, uh, good air, though. You, you definitely picked that up. I, I've been... I've been in bed a lot of the day, actually. I think I'm fighting the flu, but but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. My wife keeps bringing me, like, you know, concoctions. I don't know what the hell's in this tea, but uh, she just told me, just drink it. Don't ask any questions. And I'm like, you know, if she wanted to kill me. Anyway. Well, I'm not, I'm not feeling great, but I don't have, like, a flu or a cold. I think I just ate something that was bad. And I had to, I had to make a choice. Was it going to, was I going to lose it or eject it from the penthouse or the basement? And I went with the penthouse earlier and I feel much better. (laughs) You know, listen, you know, your body better than anybody, right? Yes. (laughs) There's another, there's something else that Shaquille Leonard has to learn. You got to know your body better than everybody else. And I will say this, that's what Jonathan Taylor was on the show in the preseason and talked about how he has been in tune and knows everything about his body. Because when you reach this point, you have to, you have to take that in consideration. I'm I'm glad you brought up JT because I was actually going to mention this. You know, he for the first time this year really dealt with a lingering injury. You know, that ankle, and and one of the things he did was he took a very, I would say, conservative approach to to dealing with it. I mean, there was that game. I, I want to say maybe the Washington game. I can't remember, but uh, you know, we thought he was going to play, and and the day before the game, you know, they made him. They, they should say they ruled him out of the game. On, on the Saturday before the game. I was pretty surprised by that. But in talking to JT after the fact, it was pretty clear that he's the one that kind of led that, yes. that charge yes. to that decision. And he did it in his own best interest. Uh, he's also a guy who's, you know, trying to get a contract next year, you know. So, uh, but, but I don't even think it was about money. I, I really think it was just he, he wasn't right, you know, and he keeps having these setbacks. And so he made, I thought, the, the best decision for him and look at him on, on Sunday. He looked the best I've seen him all year. So Stephen Holder's with us. Does Jeff Saturday, uh, given the chaos of last week and then how that oh. unfolded into a win on Sunday, does he veer very far from what he did last week working into Sunday in that matchup? And I mean across the board, not just him, but in, in how he delegated authority to everybody and how everything was handled from top to bottom. Does he veer very far away from that for that game against the Eagles Sunday? No, I don't think so. Look, we, we can criticize how this was handled, and, and I think there is a lot of room to do that, right? Just It, it was sloppy. I really thought it was sloppy, and, and I'm going to stand by that, right? However, I think Jeff Saturday did a phenomenal job of understanding the situation and, and not going in there and acting like he had all the answers because that was not going to end well, right? And and Jeff is he's the guy we've always known him to be, who is you know a guy who is genuine and a guy who who cares about you know other people and 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 sort of you know working in accordance with that, and he approached the week, <clears throat> excuse me, in just the right way, and as a result of that, it, he got buy-in from the guys. I mean, you think about it. You, if you're on Frank Reich's staff, 
whatever you want to believe about Frank Reich is, is irrelevant. But you're on Frank Reich's staff. You've been, you've been on his staff for four years. He's gone. They bring somebody else from the outside to come in and coach you, and now he's your boss. You don't even know this guy. Uh, I mean, that's got all kinds of potential to be just a, a really awkward situation. Well, he knew that. And I give him a ton of credit for understanding it and, and, and telling everybody, look, you do what you do well. And they did. I, I, I got to give everybody involved credit for putting egos aside because that's, that's, what made, that's what could have made this really messy. Have you allowed yourself at all to think about this? Uh, and these are a couple of what-ifs, and they're not good what-ifs. But let's just say Stephon Gilmore doesn't make that play against Devontae yeah. Adams. That ends differently. Or Michael Pittman Jr. can't double back and, and doesn't retrieve that fumbled football that he actually fumbled. How would we have described that game if the end result was not a Colts win? Well, it's a great point. I actually – I believe I, I might have mentioned this in the story – uh, the last couple of days, one of the you know eighteen I've written, but anyway, I, I really think winning that game was critical, not from the standpoint of of their record. Uh, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in terms of of him getting credibility with the guys, the staff, the players, everybody, because it's hard to get credibility or, or gain credibility, build credibility when you lose, right? And and sometimes it is as thin as whether Steph Gilmore makes that play or not. Right. I mean, the line is very thin, but he did and they won. And, and I, I think it's very easy or it's easier now for, for just Saturday to make the argument like guys, just, you know, let's just keep going, just keep doing what we're doing. And, you know, it's harder to make that argument when you lose. So I, you know, I don't, I don't think they would have gotten killed for losing. You know, I don't, I don't think, we expected them to win, frankly, but I thought they could win, but I didn't expect them to win. There's a lot to overcome, but, but I think that's the biggest takeaway though. That, yeah. That's, that's the biggest difference between the win and the losses. Is it giving just out of the credibility and, and making this an easier transition? Is it fair to say that it, it made it a much easier decision? I would think for Matt Ryan to be installed as the starting quarterback with those reps that he got at the end of the week. But you think that this is uh, to think about Jeff Saturday had this once he was hired and took over the reins of this gig. Don't you think that that's exactly what he was thinking? This guy's ready. I'm going with this guy and not Ellinger. And would have Frank Reich had been given a similar decision to make or would it have been Ellinger? Oh, I I can tell you without – any hesitation that without influence from other parties, Frank Reich would have played Matt Ryan. That is, that is a fact. 100%. Uh, and, and, and it was easier for th- those other parties or party, <laughs> you know, to say, let's go with Sam, you know, when, when Matt Ryan's got a shoulder injury, right? I mean, a- after that Patriots game, you know, let's say Frank Reich had been retained. I mean, this is very, very, very hypothetical, but let's say, uh, say that Frank Reich had been retained. Could he have made a plea to the owner to say, "Look, I, I think we got to make the, we got to make a change here." Maybe, maybe you know. Um, but but he did. They did kind of lay down the law and you know lay down the, the gauntlet there, saying the change was for the rest of the season. But I think with Jeff Saturday, look, if you're asking this guy to to basically come in cold and and come put himself in the crosshairs, take this job. Because you're asking a lot, if you're Jim Mercy, of, of Jeff Saturday. If you're asking him to do that, 
they, you, you got to give him what he wants, I think. And if, and if part of what he wants is to play Matt Ryan, you got to do it. And, and that's, that is my, I guess, uh, interpretation, I guess, of what happened here. It's not a, I'm not giving you necessarily a black and white version of it, but, but that's the way I, I suspect it went. So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I think you tweeted about this. I talked about this. You know, others had a similar story regarding quarterbacks coach Scott Milanovic not being down because he was the guy that had been asked to do the play calling, but not being down. And reportedly, I, you can believe what you want to believe, I guess. It was, you know, over a tearing up of the contract that he wanted up more money and the Colts didn't want to do it. Whatever the case did Scott Milanovic make a really bad decision last week? Uh, that's a fair question. I, I think you can look at it both ways. I, I, I will say this. I, I and, and I, I actually did report that too. So that is what I was told as yes. well. That there was he wanted an adjustment to his contract uh, that that did not happen or that was declined. Now, I understand it on the one hand. Let me put it this way. All right, if if any of us are in a situation like, like that in our, in our everyday jobs. And we are asked, uh, someone gets fired, we're asked to now take over uh, someone else's job and, and take on tons of other responsibility, and ter- as well as, by the way, this is, this is important, as well as the intense scrutiny that would come with it, right? Knowing that, by the way, uh, when you're part of an interim staff, and this could change, but when you're part of an interim staff, almost always at the end of the year, you're out. Okay. So I think if you're Scott Milanovic, you've got to be looking at it from, from that perspective. Like, okay, what am I getting out of this? Potentially you're getting uh, a bad hand at the time they were playing Sam Ellinger. Okay. (laughs) That's one. Uh, You, you have a situation where, you know, you've, you've lost your head coach who is your friend and would look, look out for you. So you don't have any cover that way. And then if it goes poorly, it's, it's going to be on you, right? Or it's going to reflect poorly on you, at, at least on some level. So I, I kind of understand it in some respect. And, and Milanovic has been through this before. If I recall correctly, he's been the, or he was, the interim play caller in Jacksonville uh, some years ago, I think for the last six or seven games. So, you know, I, I think he, he's been through it before, and he, he made this decision presumably you know, through that prism of, of experience in doing this uh, once before. I, I just can't get away from this. And this works in your profession, and it absolutely is something that you're taught early in my profession. When people come in here as interns and they say, what's the most important thing I should do? I said, you should be available. And you accept right. gigs. You accept jobs. I would assume in this case, even though we're talking about the NFL and a coaching staff, this might be a similar situation because who knows where this is going to go with Parks Frazier, but there are a lot of accolades for a job well done, which he did this past Sunday, and the guy just he took on a load that another guy reportedly wouldn't. And I just always thought yeah. if you're in that situation, you, you got to take it. you got to take, take it and do the job that you were asked to do or at least afforded the opportunity to do. And I didn't think that was a good look by him if, again, that's altogether accurate. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a totally fair – uh, representation of things too. I mean, I, I think both both positions are are defensible, right? I mean, there's merit to both. What I outlined and what you outlined. I don't know what I would do. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a tough thing. Uh, but I but I do I do agree with you that 
had he had he taken it on and done well, it, it could have set him up for whatever his next opportunity is, whether he's here next year or not. Uh, the question is, if it doesn't go well, is the neg- negative impact of that performance, uh, does that outweigh uh, having the play calling duties on your resume? And I, I can't answer that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I would agree. I'd agree too. I mean, you can look yeah. at it as Parks Frazier had nothing yeah. to lose. Maybe Milanovic yeah. felt that he did have something to lose, but man, yeah, I mean, they're in different places in their careers, right? If it's Much different places, and if it's about you know? money too, I mean, yeah, I, I really I, think you, the you can, money, the money part. I'll just say this: I, I, this is my interpretation of it, right? right. I mean, I, I didn't talk to the guy, but like my interpretation of it is, the money part is more so about it's, it's almost like CYA, right? Because you, you're thinking, okay, what is likely to happen here? What's likely to happen is you're out, okay, because that's what happens to interim staffs. They get blown out at the end of the year. I have no idea where this is going. Nobody does. But, you know, you play the odds, right? And the odds are your butt is going to be out of a job in, in a few weeks. <laughs> so I, I think it's, it's about trying to leverage the situation. Like, hey, you want me to save you? Well, do something for me. Throw me a bone, right? And I, I think that's that would be – the way i interpret it now i'm not saying that's the way that that's the best way to handle it I, but i think that's what happened it's uh steven older of espn.com he's on the andy moore automotive group hotline you like me believe that uh, in some capacity whether it's the head coach or decision making power whatever jeff saturday is going to have a gig regardless again of what happens the remainder of the season with the colts uh, I, I, sorry, the phone cut out. He's going to have he's, he's going to have a gig regardless, year. either oh. coaching or player personnel right. decision making of some sort, organizational or coaching wise. Yeah. Jeff Saturday is going to have a gig regardless of what happens. Uh, well, look, I, I, what what do we know right now? We know that this guy has the full attention of Jim Mercy. Okay, the full attention of Jim Mercy. He essentially decided to fire Frank Reich based upon. Jeff Saturday's availability and willingness to take this job. I don't think you need to say any more. Now, I mean, I think that's a little crazy, but whatever. But, uh, but, but it makes the point, and the point is this. It tells you that Jim Mercer thinks a lot of him, right? So I agree with you. I, I think that's probably, that's probably likely. It's probably like, you know, Jeff may decide this isn't for him, too. That, that's another possibility. You know, we'll see what happens. That'd, to, that'd be bad stuff would have to happen between now and then. I think he looks yeah. like he uh, he yeah. enjoyed it. I th- it almost looked like that he soaked up the week that was so chaotic. And it's not like yeah. nice things were being lobbed around about he and this franchise over that yeah, four or five day what? period. He's built for it. And I'll give him credit for that. Like he's built for it. You know, like he is not phased. You know, he talked about this the other day. He said, you know, uh, his family was was probably out there, you know, reading the coverage and and hearing things that people were saying and, and and were probably bothered by it. You know, he's like, ah, I got it, I can handle it, and and that's that's the player mentality, you know, and and he's never going to lose that. So I think that's a good thing. I, I really do think uh, he he is who he is, and and he was the right guy at the right time in that locker room last week, you know. So all good. I think he. I don't think he was bothered by it much at all. So Stephen Holder is with us. All right. Speaking of bothered by it, I don't know if you saw this. I'm assuming you did. The post game locker room celebration. 
the speech by Jeff Saturday interrupted by Jim Irsay to give Jeff Saturday the game ball. And then Jim Irsay having to ask Chris Ballard twice to come up there with him to present that. Was that anything? Am I overblowing this? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I would tell you this. Here's what I know about Chris Ballard. Uh, he, he likes to stay in the background. I'm talking about in those moments, you know what I'm saying? When it's about the team. Now, when it's his time to talk and, you know, the draft and, and off season and those matters, he has no problem, you know, coming out and, and being the face of those things. But he is a big believer in deferring to the head coach, particularly his first postgame speech. You know, I think that was, that, that was probably in, in Chris Ballard's view, a really sacred moment for the head coach. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, let's not pretend this isn't awkward for Chris Ballard. You know, I mean, regardless of how this works, uh, yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> this wasn't his call. You know, I, I don't. I, I think it's a stretch to say that he was in favor of it. You know, it, I mean, look, this is a it's a tough time. And look, one thing I, I know about Chris Ballard, and I know this for a fact, like he is a guy who is is very much about running the show. Okay, like it's he is in charge and and that is never in question over there. Right. Uh, but for the first time, that has been undermined a little bit, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not saying this won't work. I'm just I'm just stating facts. Right. I mean, this was taken out of his hands for the most part. This was driven by the owner. And, you know, it's a it's a huge decision. That to me, maybe I'm wrong about this. This is just opinion. To me, though, that is probably a that's probably a ditch or a crevice that's never going to be refilled again once it's, that situation yeah. occurs. It, it's hard. It's hard to double back and put that toothpaste back in the uh, the toothpaste uh, case pat bottle. What, what am I talking about here? So <laughs> I got you. I mean, no, yeah, I yeah. It. You know what I mean. It just seems it seems yeah. tough to come back from that. No, I I I think you're right. Yeah, I really do, and. I've thought about this a lot, and I, I think the win helped, and it, it changed the complexion of the week. But, but those initial moments and how this unfolded—that still happened, as you said. It still happened, and you can't convince me. Chris Ballard was thrilled about it. I refuse to believe that. Well, I can't imagine in in one of your. Uh colleagues um in the national media covering the nfl had mentioned yep. actually names uh yep. dis- discontent names here being ballard yep. and then pete ward the pete ward one kind of shocked me a little bit <laughs> i go yeah, wait well, a minute I mean, I mean it doesn't shock yeah, me because pete, of of you know the the power that he has over there i know that because he's had it for yeah. a while but you just don't often see his name mentioned like that no but but pete is pete's the guy in in jim Mercy's ear more than anybody you know uh trying to keep the, tra- the train on the tracks, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I wasn't totally surprised by that, but but normally his role is, is a little bit, you know, behind the scenes, so you don't see his name. But I wasn't surprised by it because, you know, he he does have that sort of um, ability. Uh, he, he has a voice, I guess, with the owner and, and can and has some – some sway with him not this time though have you have you have you all wondered where that might have uh leaked out because that's a, that's a nugget right there naming names yeah i mean it, it, it was i didn't i wasn't told names specifically you know so i give i give Dental network credit for for that so i don't know but 
I will tell you that in the first 24 hours or so, okay, right? Yep. I talked to a lot of people over there, and I didn't burn them, okay? But <laughs> let me just tell you, a couple of those assessments are in my story uh, that posted on ESPN.com this morning if you want to check it out. But um, there were some brutal assessments of the, situ- of the situation from people who are not low-level people. Let's put it that way. So it was it was brutal. I mean, they were they were they were on fire in terms of just being angry about how it went. Were they were they, were they overall angry at it being Jeff for the lack of experience, or you know Jim Ursay yeah, making the call? Like I mean, how did that vary? It felt like to them that it was an unserious move. That's the the sense that I got. Like this is not a serious move, and. And I listen, Jim Marseille may come out of this as a genius, okay? He may. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'll be the first to write it when, if this works out. I'm actually, I've actually thought about this already. I, I think there's a story to be told about how he is, you know, sort of pushing the envelope here, right? I, I think that's a very fair assessment if, it, if this thing goes well. Uh, but that doesn't mean that. <laughs> That doesn't mean that that people were were going to have a, um, you know, a, a positive reaction to it because it was so unconventional, so unconventional. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't think, I, and I actually think this too. This is a little bit of me reading the situation, so just bear with me. But I honestly think Jim Ursay was taken aback by the reaction because I think he anticipated this going over really well initially, right? He seemed combative in the press conference, I think, because the reaction wasn't what he thought it was going to be. The reaction was like, you know, in some corners, the reaction was, are you crazy? <laughs> and I don't think he anticipated that. I think he thought he was going to get flowers for it, and that didn't happen. Was was that gloating on Twitter yesterday? Was that yeah, also I, that's what, what I saw. Was that also directed at those nonbelievers within his own organization? Oh, I don't know about that part, but I think just in general. Let me say this about the people in the building. Yeah. It it goes back – this goes back to what I said earlier in the conversation, which is that Jeff Saturday crushed this in terms of how he handled it on a a people level, okay? He crushed it. He did the right thing. He handled it right. He had the right tone, and that went a long way. That went a long way with people in the building. So – you know, I think there was a lot of shock and all that, you know. So I, I think that simmered down as the week went on and, and Jeff handled himself in the appropriate way. So, yes, but but in, but generally speaking, Jim Mercy's tweet yesterday, I took it as, you know, how you like me now. That's how I took it. No, no, I did, I did too, but it just makes you yeah. wonder because though there were so many that disagreed yeah. within his own building. Yeah, yeah, harder maybe, to say on that part. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah maybe he was slinging arrows that direction there, too. There definitely was some dissent. Let's put it that way. But I, but I do think. I mean, listen, I've talked to people in there over the past several days, and and I I think you know Jeff Saturday, he is um, he's a very likable guy. You know, he just is, and I think he's winning some people over in the building. All right, late night gambling, a lot of drinking and hitting up cheetahs <laughs> on the weekend, and Stephen Holder's oh, going to blame it on the flight to and from Vegas. It's okay, whatever. I uh, listen, listen, Saturday was my birthday, in fact. So, um, yeah, and I, I had a couple friends out for the game 
who had tickets. So, uh, you know, but oh, yeah. they were very so well did, behaved. Is, is Cheetah still open there? I wouldn't know, man. I, I don't know. Come on, that's, man. That's, Come on now. <laughs> I, I had, I had, I really one, I had a great night before I got married at Cheetah's back in 2000. Hey, I could tell like some I said, stories. I mean, I wouldn't know about those things. I, I have no idea. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I did have a, 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 a tough night at uh, the Mirage, though. So there's that. All right, Tim. Well, uh, I'll, I'll admit to that. It's a veteran move, blaming it on the flight. Way to go! <laughs> right. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks, Stephen. All right, brother. Stephen Older, ESPN.com. Ben Brown, the data scientist from PFF, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So how are the numbers, especially offensively, in what was the first Sunday of Jeff Saturday taking over as the head coach and Parks Frazier, the first-time play caller from the Colts? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't bad, right? I think you got kind of what you needed to get. From wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. Was- oh, you got to sell it a little bit more. Wasn't bad. So we had we had their pass protection with an eleven point eight percent pressure rate. Which what the is, hell does that mean? Uh, this that's the second lowest. I would say they only had four. There was four defensive pass rush snaps where they applied pressure to Matt Ryan uh, on Sunday, which is uh, the lowest volume amount uh, that the Colts have faced this year. But it was the second lowest pressure amount outside of the Texans in Week One. So I think I think the recipe is. You can keep Matt Ryan clean if you can do that with Jeff Saturday at coach. Uh, you know they could they could still be you know maybe not quite the team we expected them to be in the preseason, but uh, they can at least I would say uh, get back into uh, maybe a little bit of the thick of it in the AFC playoff pay, playoff race at least. Oh, that's what you're thinking. You're going to hang that carrot out there I for mean, the Colts fans, are you, Ben Brown? I well, I mean, I was I was trying to be optimistic. So I thought you were gonna, you know, rail me a little bit here after I uh, was was offended or hurt from what you know Jim Irsay and Jeff Saturday said, uh, you know, about analytics in general and and their approach you were hurt. last week. So I was I was I was expecting you to kind of rub it in my face a little bit here. So I was, uh, you know, at least. At least trying to get ahead uh, a little bit and score some initial points. Well, here's the thing: that nobody is really running away with anything here, and that's what I mentioned. Right. I, I wonder if fans out there like the type of season that we have going right now, where there's you know not a level of elite team. You can be good on a given night, or like Philly last night, you can have it all fall in on you on Monday Night Football and have your first loss of the season. You you think fans like it better that way or like it when there's that elite-level presence where most nights you know they're going to go in there and be the better team? I think they like like the parody, and I think we're, you know, definitely getting that, you know, this season specifically. I think, you know, obviously some injuries will play, you know, a, a role in that, but I think, you know, the fact that any single week, uh, basically, I would say, you know, roughly 28 to 29 to 30, 30 of the teams, I would say, in the NFL can lose to another one in that grouping. I think that is, uh, I would say, makes for the most exciting brand of football that we can possibly get in my, from my perspective. It's a Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I have railed all season long that this Colts team offensively is only going to be as good as their offensive line to which level they play and consistently – I don't know if it was their best game, but it sure as hell to me, eyeball-wise, without the analytics, looked like their best game from start to finish. How much of a role did that play? How did they rank offensive line-wise coming out of Sunday? 
Yeah, this was um, far and away their best game of the 2022 season. Like I said, the, the pressure rate, which I think is kind of the core stat from a pass blocking perspective, uh, was basically the best they've seen this year from a PFF grading standpoint. Pretty much by far the best game that they've played from a you know a pass blocking perspective. And I think that you know all the way on through, it, it looked like Matt Ryan was you know kind of capable of making some of these plays if he didn't have you know, defenders in his face, defenders all over him uh, early on in the season. And I think we kind of, you know, finally started to see at least, you know, a little bit of a glimmer of a hope from that perspective. And I think that, like you said, it starts with the offensive line. And if they can keep pressure away from Matt Ryan for long enough, uh, they, they, they maybe have enough talent, I would say, you know, at, at the wide receiver and running back position to at least still have an effective offense. You got have individual numbers, like for the rookie Bernard Ryman and others along that offensive line. You got any individual numbers on how they played? We have we have individual numbers. Yep. So I can uh, I can pull. It you want up. me to stall I for you? You want me to stall for you really quick? How long will it take you? I can well, stall. So Bernard Raymond actually had uh, a really good, um, really good game on Sunday from a pass blocking perspective. I think he was an eighty-one point seven pass blocking grade. That would be uh, very much in like the top fifteenth percentile four tackles uh, here in week 10. So he was, I would say, you know, all that and a little bit more for what they finally needed from him. And I think that that's kind of the spot that flashed a little bit, you know, Quentin Nelson, I think uh, had his best game, uh, you know, so far this season as well, outside of maybe, uh, maybe his game in week seven against the Tennessee Titans. But yeah, they, 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 they got the performances they needed from the offensive line. And I think if they can, you know, string together, uh, some of these they can, you know, maybe start to, I would say, make some ground uh, in order to at least get back in the conversation, right? And I think that that's kind of what you have to buy into, you know, going to Jeff Saturday is, is if, if he can fix the offensive line, can this, can, this, can this offense be productive? And I think that, that you know, we, we at least saw that uh, answered uh, quite resoundingly on, on, on Sunday here. And I think, you know, the one down spot, Will Fry is basically really poor pass blocking grade. I think he had you know, three of the four pressures allowed from PFF's perspective, but everyone else was, uh, I would say, really clean and graded really well last week. Ben, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, where we have a group assembled, talking back and forth, and then looking at my handsome chiseled features and listening as well, uh, we have Lucas McIntosh that wanted to know, is PFF hiring? Are you guys hiring right now? Do you know? I mean, it, it really depends on what you want to do. We um, How big we, of a nerd do you have to be to get hired there? You got to be a big nerd. I mean, I mean, you you still talk to me, right? But we have we honestly have uh, you know a number of jobs. Uh, I would say you know there's there's a number of jobs outside of what I do. If you if you love watching football and you want to you know do some charting and grading, that's the entry level stuff. But you know we have HR, we have finance people that are behind the scenes. We have programmers behind the scenes. So we typically hire in the off season in March. Uh, and that's just a pretty pressing need. But, yeah, if anyone's interested and, you know, wants to hit me up uh, in my DMs on Twitter or something, I can definitely pass them along to, uh, you know, the, the right area. Look at you uh, right there. friends of yours, they're friends of mine, right? So. No doubt. You Look at you. Look at you doing the listeners and the friends of this show a solid right there. You are a good man, I Ben mean, Brown. You are my fa- you're my favorite, so I have to uh, – <laughs> if I'm going to look out for anybody, it's going to be you and your friends, that's for sure. I'll man, people, people are going to say, man, this is such BS. There's no way that he's <laughs> – the favorite of him right here. So, ben, no. yeah, Ben Brown, the PFF data scientist on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Now you're going to get a you're going to get a bunch of uh, indie area resumes coming at you. So be ready. All right.
That's good. That's good. That's not, I mean, it's not a too, it's not too far away from Cincinnati if I remember correctly. So it's, uh, <laughs> I would say it's a reasonable time frame for sure, but yeah, we can, we'll make it happen. I mean, I'm always interested in, you know, the, we very much need, uh, you know, I would say quality people. And I think that, you know, you only associate yourself with the best. So I think that that, you know, already uh, puts them on third base, in my opinion. That is so true, man, man. I appreciate you on that. All right. I want to move on. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, who was the starter going away from Sam Ellinger, because that was the Jeff Saturday choice when it was found that uh, Matt Ryan was good to go on Sunday and able to play. What did his numbers look like across the board? I mean, it was, I would say, respectable, right? I don't think it was, uh, you know, a resounding performance from any stretch of the imagination. We had it with his, you know, third best uh, passing grade that he's had so far. I think if you look at it, you know, from a pure volume perspective, like he was, he was, he was pretty good in that week six match against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's his highest grade of performance of the season. Uh, pretty good, I would say. Uh, you know, as well in that Titans game in week four. And then, and then, and then it was this one, right. And, and, and a big part of it, I think was, you know, kind of the, um, you know, only took one sack, which he'd only done that, you know, one other time so far this season in that Jacksonville Jaguars game, you know, in week six uh, was, was kind of, I would say limited uh, the turnover worthy plays didn't have, you know, a single, a single ball that we would consider like at risk of getting turnover as well. So, I think that, you know, playing playing a little bit, you know, from ahead and everything obviously is going to help. But uh, I think this is kind of, you know, what the expectation was for Matt Ryan. And I think now he, you know, uh, kind of finally delivered a little bit of, uh, you know, I would say somewhat of a baseline performance from that perspective. All right, Ben, I'm going to stall really quick so you can look up those Eagles numbers from last night defensively against the run specifically because the commanders did a lot of running and clock consuming of the football last night on Monday Night Football. Ben Brown, who's the data scientist for Pro Football Focus every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So next up is the home debut for Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach of the Colts and the former unbeaten Eagles are in town. The Eagles didn't look very good last night, really, on either side of the football, at least not how they looked so far this year. Defensively, uh, the rationale behind Washington running the ball and eating up that clock as much as they did last night. Why? Uh, it's, it, it, I, I honestly don't know if it was I, – I, I don't want to say that they were overly successful from Washington's perspective in running the football. Right. I think where, where they kind of won the game, especially in the first half, was – you know, some high leverage third and medium to third and long situations where Taylor Heineke kind of made a little bit of magic happen in the passing game. So I think that, you know, that allowed them to uh, at least get up a little bit. And then, and, and then the question I think from the Eagles perspective was, is, is can they win a game coming from behind? Right. And I think that that's where they're going to be really struggled. They're not going to be successful because they're, they're, they're dominant so much is in the trenches, right? And they have, you know, the best offensive line of football, right? Best run blocking, basically the best pass blocking. Uh, and they can kind of establish their territory and they can go in and they can beat teams up. And then when they're up at the end of the game, they can kind of run the clock out. But if they get down early because, you know, Washington hit, I would say, a few big plays in the passing game, uh, it, it, their defense is, I would, their run defense specifically is kind of the, the, the one spot that could maybe be looked at as a little bit of a negative. And if that happens, you know, and they, and they need to stop the the run, and they can't. You know that that's when they're going to lose a lot of football games, and they're probably not as good as we thought they were. So I think it was more 
you know, Taylor Heineke, uh, you know, I would say running above expectation in third down situations in the first half. And then, and then once they were up, you know, uh, the, the Eagles and where they're strongest at kind of didn't matter for the second half of the game. Right. And then, and then the fumbles and everything else kind of played a role in that as well. But uh, I think overall, you know, if, 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 if the Colts, have this idea that they want to go in and establish the run and, are, and think they're going to be successful. I think that they, you know, might need, I would say, to pivot on that if they actually want to, you know, emerge victorious in this matchup. We're going to need to see something from, you know, Michael Pittman and Matt Ryan downfield. Yeah. We're going to need to see something from Alex Pierce. But I think that's got to be the expectation here uh, coming in on Sunday. Because I think if you try and go up against the Eagles and you play smash mouth football, uh, I, I think they're a team that's going to punch you back pretty hard, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, uh, Ben Brown is with us too. You look at you, you look at the Colts and what you're talking about there too. You look at them on defense, and their defense certainly has been playing uh, well recently. Where are they ranking right now defensively across the board in some of those crucial numbers according to PFF? Yep. So we have them. I had it up here, of course. Now I'm just clicking through like uh, a madman, but we have them. Um, I would say seventh from a run defense perspective. And like you said, that's kind of, you know, owning the trenches and that's where they've been uh, really good. When you look at, you know, team, you know, EPA allowed from a rushing perspective, the Colts are the best, the best unit in the NFL right now, right? They rank, you know, first in, in, in EPA allowed per rush attempt so far this season. So uh, they are winning there, but um, they, they, they also, I think have, I would say have kind of struggled. I think they're basically like, league average uh from a coverage perspective but uh in saying that i think you know and we saw this kind of flash a little bit um you know on sunday with you know Devontae adams getting a high volume of targets but when they needed a crucial play they had stefan gilmore on him and he was kind of able to make that play so i do think they have you know a a legitimate still you know even if he is on the older side uh, a legitimate shutdown cornerback and i think that you know not many other teams have that so we have them you know the 12th best overall coverage unit grade but uh you know when you have a guy like stefan gilmore limiting you know the opposing team's number one option in the passing game uh it, it definitely makes things more difficult overall even if you are kind of ranking you know league average as, a, as as the rest of the unit from my perspective ben if you look back and this includes those two games against patrick mahomes and the chiefs and then on the road on that thursday night downer where they won at Denver and Russell Wilson, Jalen Hurts, the similar philosophy defensively would stand here. And the Colts had success in both of those Chiefs-Broncos games, uh, respectively, uh, on the defensive side of the football. And they like to talk right. about keeping you know, uh, guys like that, and in this case Jalen Hurts, keeping him in the well. They have had success against guys like that defensively so far this year. Yeah, they they very much have, and I think we see that play out. You know, both both the run defense grades, the coverage grades, and everything else. But that, you know, for some reason, both kind of have the recipe. I would say to you know somewhat slow down. Uh, you know, these these highly thought of quarterbacks. And I think if you have you know a situation where you know you you play Patrick Mahomes better than anybody else in the NFL, that's something that should not only give you confidence, but it should also be you know, kind of the recipe for success against a guy like Jalen Hurts, who, you know, has been very good so far this season, but, you know, is still very much not not on the same level as uh, as a guy like Patrick Mahomes. So I think, you know, it, it, once again, if you can if you can get kind of the, the similar recipe, I don't think it necessarily needs to be, you know, a, a, a muff punt 
fumble situation that forces you to get or that allows you to kind of get up early against the Eagles. But if you can have success early on, uh, you know, offensively, uh, if you get up, I think that, you know, the, the Eagles should very much, I would say, you know, be on upset alert given that game script and probably be, you know, in even a much worse situation than what the Chiefs found themselves you know, in that week three matchup from my perspective. Ben Brown of PFFs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, I, I, I use the term around here sports arousal for sports happenings that excite me or excite the fan base. So I'm assuming that your sports arousal is coming from the seven straight in the win category by your Minnesota Vikings. What's what's going on with that? That is a team that the Colts are going to see later on this season. Is is this something on both sides of the football that you have seen over these last seven games that's sustainable for the rest of the year? Is this an absolute legitimate team at eight and one in the NFC? I I might be uh, I'll use the term emotionally hedging here a little bit, but I don't think they are as complete of a team as where you're going to find them. I would say not only power ranked today, but, you know, kind of where you're finding them from a national discourse. And I think that, you know, part of that has been, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins is very much, I would say, reliant and benefiting from having the best receiver in football right now. Right. And I think that you can see, you know, even with the mid tier quarterback, if you have the best receiver in football, you are still very much a dynamic offense. And, and it's very tough to get off the field with you, especially on third down if that guy is getting a lot of targets, whether he's covered or not. So I think that, you know, is the big reason. But I think the most concerning thing for me um, in some ways is that the Vikings have been very lucky from an injury perspective. I do think that's probably shifting a little bit, especially, you know, this week with Christian Derrissaw, you know, potentially questionable. Darius Smith as well has kind of been the one guy from a pressure perspective that has been consistent week in and week out. He's questionable as well. So if that tide kind of shifts a little bit, I don't think they're, you know, very deep, I would say, defensively, especially in the secondary, kind of losing some young guys already. And I think that they've, you know, kind of been fortunate. Uh, and we saw it, I would say, with both of Patrick Peterson's, you know, interceptions last week. They've kind of been fortunate to be in, in, in the right spot at the right time. And I'm not sure that that is going to, you know, continue to carry forward week in and week out for, 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 for our secondary that I think is, you know, definitely on the older side and if they lose, you know, one guy for even a week or two, you know, is very much going to be on to the, you know, their, their third string cornerback or, or safety at that point in time. And from there, you know, that that's a team that I'm concerned with, especially if they are, you know, uh, in some ways struggling to get pressure consistently. So I don't think they are, you know, I, I would say the best team in the NFL right now, I think with, you know, the, the right situation and breaking correctly, could they get out of the NFC? Yes. I would definitely consider that a win. And I would be, you know, uh, enthused or, or, you know, uh, probably uh, in a state of delirium if they, you know, were capable of facing off against the Bills or Chiefs team in the Super Bowl. But uh, I think the path to get there is, you know, still, I would say, uh, a lot more uh, a lot more difficult than what, you know, uh, Minnesota Vikings fans are currently acknowledging, I would say. Once upon a time, there was some interest in, you mentioned Christian Derrissaw at left tackle a little bit earlier. There was some interest Draft-wise, in that player, I believe, coming out of Virginia Tech not too long ago, and he ends up going to the Vikings. Is is he now – is he transforming into an elite-level left tackle? Yep. Yeah, he – That's going to make everybody around here he sick. Much, he very much has very quickly, like you said, yeah, Virginia Tech last year, 23rd overall pick for the Vikings. He is, uh, you know, both – 
both sides of the equation, right? I think from a pass blocking perspective, he's like the third best tackle so far this season. Uh, from the run blocking perspective, he's very much, I would say, in the conversation for being, you know, the best left tackle in football from a run blocking perspective. And, you know, arriving early, uh, he has been, uh, you know, I would say every bit as good as advertised here for sure, which is, you know, great to see. And I would say much, much needed for this offense. So I appreciate the Colts not ending up with him. Yeah, I don't know. That's not one Chris Ballard may tag to the resume. Right. Right. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember where the Colts were actually in that. That's the Quiddy Pay. That's the Quiddy Pay draft. They yeah, went at the yeah, they went at twenty one right. overall. Right. With Quiddy Pay. Right. And I maybe I'm wrong about this. I thought that maybe their feeling was, and I guess their feelings, Chris Ballard's feelings, that um I think they, they thought maybe Darasaw had some what was it? Behavioral issues? Am I wrong about that? I think there there were some so-called red uh, red flags that I'm sure nobody's really a, a damn bit worried about right now. So there you go. Yeah, I'm not sure that was him. I know there was a guy from LSU that they drafted along the offensive line who definitely had some you know character concerns. Um, but I'm, I'm, I I I have to go back and look at that. I'm not quite sure what the reason was for why. You know, Darius, if he, if, if he even did slip at all, or if it was just, you know, a spot where he was just a little bit lower than, you know, some of the other yeah. assumed first round talent at that point. Hey, at, at least. I'll look into that. At least they didn't uh, get Alex Leatherwood, I guess. And at least, at least that uh, you come off a weekend in which the rookie Bernard Ryman actually played well. So. Against yeah, again, you want to say against the Raiders, which is fair, unfair, whatever. But he did, he did play well. But that's one that we'll be staring at, I think, for the foreseeable future. That particular pick. Track that. We can track that every week here. I can definitely. Uh, I'll keep you. Uh, I'll keep you all abreast on you know the happenings of Christian Darius. But hopefully he plays this week. Because if he doesn't, uh, I, I think we're in for a world of hurt against Micah Parsons of that Dallas Cowboys front four. That's for sure. So, may, uh, so the second the second ranked left tackle in the NFL right now is Darisol, correct? That is according to PFF grade, and I can get his overall offensive grade if you want to quote me on that. If you uh, give me just a little bit of a little bit of time, I can get his tackle. That's um, all we can we can do that. Nate. I don't want to I don't want to make the fan base that sick around here. So yeah, right, yeah. we can They've we can do enough. that. I mean, I. We can do that next week. It just occurred to me when when you were talking about him and you know how he has fit at left tackle there and played well. Um, it's certainly a consideration that it. could have been had around here. Okay, go ahead. He is the highest graded offensive tackle in the NFL from both a pass blocking and run blocking perspective, <laughs> PFF grading perspective, so far this season. So Good. one Good. spot lower than him, Andrew Thomas. Two spots lower than him, Trent Williams, uh, and then Tristan Wirfs. So I would say. Uh, it's pretty good company, I would say, so far for Christian Darisaw, which is good. All right. Things Har- you love to see. Harpoon Bakery inside the lands via YouTube Live, and you trust anybody with info named Harpoon Bakery, says Christian Darisaw allows less than one pressure per game. Yeah. very. He's very much on He's very much on that pace for sure. Yeah, he's been – Wonderful. Uh, I had it up here. He did multiple games. Yeah. I mean, imagine Matt Ryan behind – uh, an absolute mauler like uh, Christian Darius. We have him tracked for 13 allowed pressures so far this year, so a little bit over uh, one per game, but that might include um, some penalty-type plays. Yeah, he's at 10 per game when I filter out penalty plays, so he's at one per game. I don't think there's anybody else 
you know, at the NFL tackle position, which can claim that right now. I think Eric Fisher had like 13 in one game last year. Just guessing. Right. Well, I, I know that Ma- I know that Matthew Pryor did <laughs> this year. So yeah. All right, man. I appreciate you more than you know. Even though you kind of end that on a dull note, that's going to make everybody sick. We had to know. We had to know. We got the win. We got the win. That's all that matters right now. So we'll see where we end up next week. But I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great show. You too. Ben, thank you for dropping in. PFF data scientist. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is Greg Rakestraw. Greg Rakestraw called in after the Monon Bell and the victory for DePaul on Saturday early evening. And for the all-90s, nothing but the 90s JMV takeover, requested the young black teenagers tap the bottle and twist the cap. That's well done. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I know a lot of people, you know, give you kind of the standard boilerplate fare of the 80s and 90s. I like to bring things that have been you have to unearth to kind of, you know, bring them onto the show. So You made me work for that, that, for real. You did. I, I, I think that ranks up there with, uh, you know, AB Logic from a few weeks earlier. I think, too, I'm just guessing that that was the first time that that song has ever played on those airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> just guessing. We get it every week on that show, correct, though? That's yeah. not the way that it works, the whole point I of was, it. I was going to ask Bernie. I said, Bernie, did you play? Did you ever play Young Black Teenagers between Gordon Lightfoot and Air Supply back in the day? I was just curious. But. I'm going to say Scribble and Jamal made their <laughs> B1057 debut uh, on Saturday night. Hey, speaking of which, the Monon Bell, that's quite a performance over there before you, I guess, on Saturday afternoon. It was the largest margin of victory for DePaul in 24 years in that rivalry. The games had been really close the last five times they have played. They've all been one-score games. Last year, DePaul got up 21 nothing, and then Wabash won the game 42-35. Liam Thompson, uh, former quarterback at North Central, Wabash's quarterback, still finished as perhaps the best Division Three quarterback this year. The numbers he had been putting up had been staggering. And so for the pause defense to shut him down in that fashion and have not one but two pick sixes in that game was pretty remarkable. You know, DePaul's going to go on and play in the Division Three playoffs this week. Wabash's season ends at 7-3. At and three. Uh, But uh, DePaul, uh, I'm not sure they make a run this year. But, John, they bring back every defensive starter on that team next year. And they, they had four shutouts this year. They slowed the nation's first or second best offense on, on uh, Saturday. Brett Dietz is, is building himself a powerhouse over in Greencastle at DePauw. Hey, give a quick shout-out, too, to Marion in the postseason coming up on Saturday, too. Marion and UND, uh, both uh, in the postseason. So Marion for NAI, UND for Division Two. UND heads out to Pittsburgh State in Kansas. I may have to... Go by Dallas Flowers uh, locker and, and see if I can get him in a, in a friendly wager. I want to have Colts practice tomorrow for that. But Marion gets to play host to St. X out of Chicago uh, as they have a home game in the NAI playoffs. So we are officially now postseason D2, D3, NAI. The uh, FCS guys begin their postseason play the following week. Yeah, so uh, good on them and uh, good on the football around here. You also on the postgame show, you, Barry Krause, and Bill Brooks on Sunday evening got to talk about some positivity and a win. And I've gone over the, the past day and then into the first segment here on what I saw and what was good compared to what we had seen. Certainly now what was good with Jeff Saturday being the, the interim head coach. I, I just thought to me keeping it simple and then letting everybody do their gigs. 
perform their jobs. Yep. And to me, that's the only thing you could do in that situation if you're Jeff Saturday. But you let everybody do their gigs. And in, in terms of Parks Frazier, it was a new gig. But I thought it worked out great with the approach that they had to take on Sunday. Simplify and do what you do better. Um, because of the timing of Jeff getting in the building on Monday, of not deciding who your play caller was until Tuesday. And normally by the time you get to that point in time on Tuesday, man, the game plan is largely set. Uh, And then guys are starting to practice it on Wednesday. I thought it was the only way they could have handled it. Uh, And so Jeff Saturday as CEO for week number one went awfully well. Um, Now I'm curious to see, now that you've got Matt Ryan back in there, now that you've got an extra week, now that you frankly are going to be playing against a coach that knows your system a a lot better in terms of uh, Nick Sirianni, do you have to diversify? Do you have to add to it going into week number two? But clearly they had all the right notes to get that W on Sunday afternoon. Full disclosure, I don't know after watching last night in Washington's offensive approach, it seems like a heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor would be what you're going to lean on. (laughs) When I looked up, I didn't watch all of last night's game, but watched enough of it. And when I flip on in the third quarter and the time of possession, which I'm like, that has to be a typo, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It it said 30 minutes to seven. And I go, huh, a lot of Jonathan Taylor going to get the football uh, on on Sunday afternoon. So absolutely, I'd be pounding the rock with number 28 until they can prove they can stop it. Yeah, and that's one of the things, too, that uh, I guess is an expectation. But what what do you think? I heard guys, you know, talk about, you know, the sense of urgency, and that had been a buzz term after some disappointing losses, certainly when Frank Reich was still the coach here. What, What made the sense of urgency certainly look more real for Jeff Saturday in Vegas in that squad this past Sunday than it did in some of those disappointing weeks prior, Greg? Listen, anytime you're going to change the voice, there's going to be an immediate reaction. The proof will be what happens over the next seven weeks. I'm not trying to minimize the, the feel-good factor of Jeff Saturday, the job that he did, the job Parks Frazier, the players did, Matt Ryan being, being a pro and being ready, et cetera. I'm not trying to minimize that. But there is always going to be, when you have that much of a, 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 a jolt to the system, when the voice that these guys have heard, and some of them for four and a half years, others four years, et cetera, when that voice gets removed and it is somebody completely new you do this subconsciously. Everybody kind of perks up a little bit. Everybody kind of picks things up. And now it will be, all right, do, do the Colts play the same way in week number two of the Jeff Saturday era? I think they will, A, because they know how good their opponent is, but B, I think Lucas Oil is going to be rocking on on Sunday for a couple different reasons. One, everybody, anybody that has a ticket to that game that owns a Jeff Saturday jersey is going to be wearing it. You're going to see a lot of number 63 in the crowd. And that's what's unique about Jeff and how popular he was and how good the Colts were when he played here. How many towns have well, have fans that voluntarily say, I want to buy the jersey of the starting center? And there were 63s all over the lot, you know, in, in, in that decade that Jeff was a part of, of this team. So that's one. And two, the Eagles are good. And the Eagles have, have a, you know, have, have a fan base that only gets to come watch their team play here every eight years. Be a good amount of Eagles fans are going to be in the building too on Sunday. So I don't think it'll be a problem for this team to be fired up and ready to go because I think the atmosphere is going to be crazy, to be honest with you, in Sunday afternoon's game at Lucas Oil. Now let's see in weeks after that 
again, do you have that same intensity, that same preparation, that same attention to detail that we saw from this football team on, on Sunday against Las Vegas? He's Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And I, I get some doom and gloom responses to the news regarding Shaquille Leonard. You knew that he more than likely was not going to return, and you knew more than likely when they went to L.A. they were going out there with a purpose, with a reason, and they did. Yeah, the back surgery situation, and they're going to give it from now until the entirety of the offseason to get ready for 2023. But people ask me, and I'm curious your thoughts, because I, I really don't know. It's a back, and it's scary with this you know, high-powered collisions these guys all get involved with in the NFL, but do you think he's ever going to be what we and the Colts thought he was going to be after going through all of this? I don't know. Uh, and you laid out the reasoning very well. Um, he's always been a guy that's played better in space, despite the fact that he's racked up a lot of tackles. He's always been a bit of a ball hawk. And so maybe those, those attributes will translate well to him, um, you know, returning in 2023. But knowing now that after an off-season surgery, then you have to have another surgery to repair that, and you played, you know, impeded, still made plays, but played impeded the year before that, am I concerned that we ever see Shaquille Leonard play to the level that Darius Leonard once did? That is a very fair concern to have, Colts fans, a very fair concern. It um, makes me wonder as well. All right, so you got a couple of, at the end of the season, free agents. I believe E.J. Speed, you know, yep. backup linebackers one. Bobby Okereke is yep. the other. It's going to be interesting to see how they end up handling this, whoever ends up handling this in the offseason. Right, and again, you know, I, I'm, I think both guys can can, can play. Um, I'm curious as to how, how Shaquille Leonard's contract is handled because, again, if you have Okereke, if you want to bring back EJ Speed, you're not going to pay four guys starting linebacker money. I'm not sure they're going to pay three guys starting linebacker money. Zaire Franklin's going to be one of those guys. Depending on what you do with, with, with Leonard's contract, there's a second guy. Do you splurge and go ahead and bring back Okereke? That doesn't leave any room for EJ Speed. They were able to do that the last several years because, you know, Franklin, Speed, Okereke, and before his big extension letter, we're all rookie deals. You could afford to do that. You can't do that once you get to second contract. So two of those guys, maybe three, are getting are going to get not just bank what would be their deserved contracts in the National Football League. You obviously can't do that for all four. It's a great, great straw with us. I do want to shift gears before I, I let you go here. Semi-state Friday night is coming up, and it is a who's who of fantastic matchups, as it normally is across the board. It is. I am going to uh, – I'm not sure I've announced this on Twitter yet, so I guess I'm kind of breaking news you know, here on the program. So uh, for four years, I was the voice of the Ron Colleyden Rebels, yeah. now the role. And during my days uh, of doing those games, there were some r- amazing postseason games. Uh, there was a stretch in, in 2004 that Jason Warner made plays that, that I have not seen um, you know, basically equal on a high school football field in some 18 years later. The, the year before that, in 2003, maybe one of the best five football games I have ever called was Ron Colley and East Central in the semi-state in St. Leon yeah. that Ron Colley won in overtime by going for two after a roughing the kicker call on an extra point that was converted. Ron Colley took the point off the board, went for two in the win with half of the goal, and got it in what is still a contested call 
19 years later by the folks in southeastern Indiana. I'm going to relive that to a certain degree. I have to call the Ron Colley East Central game on Friday night on IHSATV.org. Landshive is heading down I-74 with me. Looking forward to going back to St. Leon and that neck of the woods. That's my game on Friday night is Ron Colley and East Central. But all the way across the board, Cathedral Center Grove, um, that Ron Colley East Central game, Chittard West Lafayette is going to be absolutely huge in three on the northern half of the state. But we've got good matchups, as you would expect. We have the four teams in each classification. I think it's going to be a fun night of football. It's really not a football, but a fun night of football nonetheless. So let me get this straight. So it was first going to be at Arlington for Cathedral yep, and then Center Grove and what they want to call you know the Mud Bowl, and now it's correct. moved to Tech, correct? Why is that? Uh, moved to Tech because field conditions will not be a factor, and frankly, you can fit a lot more people at Tech. Makes sense. Um, you know, tech, tech, from a, tech from a standpoint of being able to hold a crowd – you can get far more people there than you can at Arlington. And knowing that a, a, a Center Grove Cathedral game, you know, you could get 10,000 there without putting much of an effort. I'm not sure they can fit 10,000 at Tech, but they can fit more at Tech than they can at Arlington. So field conditions won, even though we've had largely a very – we've had about as good a weather as we could possibly have for high school football. So the grass field at Arlington will be as good as it could be in week number 14. But if you go to Tech, you take care of the your field conditions, get eliminated, and you can get more butts and seats as well. Who's the uh, Mr. Football in the state of Indiana this Probably year? Probably Drake Bowen uh, from Andrean High School uh, that is going to go play at Notre Dame. Young man's going to play two sports at Notre Dame. He's an outstanding baseball player, too. But my guess would be, and I expect the Niners uh, to be able to uh, make it to the state championship for a second year in a row, I think it's Drake Bowen from Andrean. It's uh, been a heck of a season, too. And obviously, you know, being down by Center Grove, that's going to be a hell of a matchup with Cathedral. But I I think Eric, and he would tell me to shut up, and that's fine, but you talk about a a coaching job with all that was lost a year ago and the injuries and, you know, getting to this point. Um, It's been an impressive season for them. Probably not what he would tell me to say on the air, but uh, there's no doubt it has been. Um. I don't think there's any doubt in terms of the legacy that Eric Moore has left at Center Grove. Frankly, what he has meant to Indiana high school football coaching, and let me explain that. Um, there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of coaches other places that are part of the Eric Moore tree. So that's one aspect of it. Two, you know, when he began running the wing tee offense at Center Grove in 99, nobody else ran that offense at, at the major high school level. A few years later, you know, more and more schools were running a variation of that offense. And he's, he's changed a little bit in terms of being able to spread it out and let guys throw the football. But when they needed to move the football last week, what they line up in? Wing T. It's what they went back to uh, in their game against Warren Central. Um, so there's that. But this team in particular, I see so many corollaries. Again, I'll go back to my days of doing Ron Colley. Ron Colley in 2005 made the 4A state championship without the level of talent they had the years previous. And I think it was in large part because they had kids that had not experienced anything in the way of losing and kids that had had extra, you know, five extra weeks of practice three years running because of making runs to the state finals. I see that in this Center Grove group. Um, they're nowhere near as talented from 1 to 22, but they had kids that literally knew nothing of losing the last two years and got to practice all the way to Thanksgiving weekend. And eventually that pays off. And I think those are the traits that you see in the Center Grove football team. I've always said this, too. He has had from the gate, from the opener, everybody within that program 
pushing in the same direction. And yep. while while he's got his eyeballs on everything, I mean from top to bottom, young and old here, but he also delegates authority to those those lieutenants that he trusts to do the same. That is an absolute perfect blueprint on how to not just run, but build from a grassroots a program. And I don't what, think that should be lost. I, listen, to me, there'll be a lot of folks, certainly, that have their own programs, no matter what sport, Greg, that probably should look at that blueprint. Exactly. Center Grove has, has, is the public school that has most emulated what I call the CYO model. And that is everybody in a certain CYO system, you're going to run the system of the high school you're feeding into. That's the way you're going to play the game. That's the way Center Grove has run their, has run their program, and they're a game away from playing for a fourth consecutive state championship or playing, I should say, in a fourth consecutive state championship game. Hey, really quick, too, travel hours, two hours to play a semi-state game. Bob Johnson wants to know if that game should be on a neutral side. I don't know what game that is. Do you know what Bob's talking about here, the two-hour to you play? Monrovia-Lawrenceburg would be yeah. of that ilk. Um, I'm sure there's other ones that, that I can't think of off the sure. top of my head. Whiteland, Whiteland and, and, and Castle would come to mind. I would say this, it's the way we've always done it. Um, the, the, and And – you try to alternate games. In other words, if you were at home for the regional, you should be on the road for the semi-state, et cetera. It's, just, it's, it's the way that it's always been. We've not done neutral sites in this state until you get to a state championship game. The example that I could give you from about four years ago was Marion had to go play at Evansville Central one time for a semi-state because there were that many 4A schools in like the region, yeah. South Bend, Fort Wayne area, that Marion's in the southern half of the bracket. It is what it is. I would put that into the hashtag of first world problems. If you're concerned that you have a two-hour drive to make to play your state tournament game, it means you're still playing. That's a good problem to have. Hey, enjoy the Lauk effect coming up on Friday <laughs> night down in St. Leon, all right? Across, uh, across the board. I was going to say, I, I know just a few of them. I'll be sure to make sure I pass along the best regard. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Appreciate you. Say it. It's like Greg Gregstraw, the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline.